Hello and welcome to the Maximo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our mid-November review episode. Enjoy the show. Let's start with introductions. Deep, who are you? I'm Deep. I am the senior editor of American Theater Magazine. I just got promoted. Saying, saying the job title is pretty new. I don't, I don't know if I'm used to it yet. Woohoo! Congratulations. Wee. And Penny Maria, who are you? Well, congratulations, Deep. Um, I'm Penny Maria Jackson, and I'm the marketing director at the Apollo Theater. And I also have a video review series called To See or Not to See. And I am Lindsay, the editor at Maximu. We're here to talk about some shows that are currently playing in New York City and what we thought about them. And we're starting with Deep. Wait, what, what, what are we talking about? Okay. <laughs> Woo! We're okay. talking about Solstice Party! Oh my Solstice Party! Exclamation point! Exclamation point. <laughs> it's an exclamation point in the title, but I don't know if, if the play is an exclamation point, though. It's a very low-key party. <laughs> Are you saying that ironically? <laughs> no, it, it, I feel like it was a very low-key party. It was a party in the woods yeah. during the solstice, the, right? The summer solstice. Yes, a, a bunch of friends gather in upstate New York in a remote area to, you know, roast a pig together and drink a lot of booze and take some drugs and reminisce. And the, the conceit is this year, one of the members has brought a new girlfriend, Pippi, and she is new to the group and she doesn't know what is going on and why they're such kind of re- reserved people mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. some very embarrassing secrets. And the, and the whole thing, there's like a sinister overtone to it, yes. kind of like a Rosemary's Baby kind of thing or Get Out where you know that something is going to happen and everyone just acts so normally, like way too normally. And then by the end, something does happen. And I don't really know if you want to spoil it for people. Let's at least start by talking about it, not spoiling it. Yeah, okay. like... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And so I, because it, it, because it, it's, you know, partially horror, like, and horror is usually a metaphor for something. It seemed like this play was a metaphor for meeting your friend, your boyfriend's friends for the first time (laughs) and the awkwardness that ensues because everyone has their in jokes. Is that, deli- is that a delivery? Yes. Uh, pause. So because a play is partially horror, and horror is usually a metaphor for something, I think this play was a metaphor for meeting your boyfriend's friends for the first time, and all of the inside jokes and the backstory that you're not privy to, and sometimes they'll say something or laugh about something, you're like, well, what, what, what the hell is that? Or like, why do you guys like to go to this place, this bar? Or why do you guys like to go up to upstate New York and have this party? And what, it, and what is this? And at one, at one point, they have this scene where they're going around and talking about secrets, and, and the person who holds like this little blonde doll, plastic yeah. doll, tells a secret and like they don't explain what the hell that's about which means like (laughs) which kind of it it makes you feel like Pippi the the new girlfriend like she doesn't know what it means and you don't know what it means and no one explains anything which is which is charming because you get in the mind space of the character but at some point I felt like when the shoe, the other shoe dropped, because you know that was going to happen, it didn't feel, 
there wasn't as much oomph to it as mm-hmm. I would have liked it to have because yes, it's a meta, it's yes, it's about meeting someone's friends, but it's also horror. So when so in horror, like when the big reveal happens, like you expect it to be really. Um, really terrifying and you did you and you didn't see it coming and then the big reveal happens and i think oh okay mm. that, that 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 was interesting that was interesting i feel like it could have been that reveal in itself could have been built mo- more in in the play the play prior to the big reveal happened i feel like it all happened too fast at the end mm. and i'm still not sure what it is because yeah. i was wondering is she having a drug trip? So it was, it mm-hmm. was like, you know, it kind of leaves you in that space of what is going on. Um, but um, one of the descriptions for the show says that it's written as a parable for the Jonestown um, incident for the Trump era. So I think right now everyone is kind of feeling like what is happening in the show. You know, it puts you, like you said, deep in the space of that character, like what is happening. So in that aspect, if that's what they were aiming for, that was a success. <laughs> Did we say who this is written by and who oh, it's directed yes. by? Oh, sorry. Solstice Party by uh, Susan Soonhee Stanton and directed by Tyler Mercer of Live Source Theater Group, which is apparently a design-focused um, theater company. And so I was talking to Susan about the play, and she said because it's design-focused, like her primary image in creating it was like trees and just way too yeah. many trees on stage. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked the the set design of it yes. because you know it's like a dirt floor mm-hmm. which 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 Pai Maria loves <laughs> another inside joke which you guys which our listeners will not know about and will and I will not be explaining <laughs> so oh. now you feel like the new girlfriend Pippi don't you <laughs> well I'd like an explanation of that maybe after the show yeah okay, okay. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll fill you in okay yeah um, but yeah. also in addition to the trees um like you said it's design focused and I think they did a really great job with the lighting um mm-hmm. they even had like candle embers of uh, floating yeah. which was a really cool aspect even though um it was a small intimate theater i think it worked really well right right and it's also like they, they do a lot of stuff to that space in in the time that you're in it because it, it, it's fair it's fairly small it's at art new york and it's this one it's in their one of their 99 seat black box spaces so it's very tight tight but in it they pitched up a tent they put mm-hmm. out a table with food they have a little fireplace going so they they so use the space very they, well. they use it very well it didn't really feel very cramped and so and you get the sense from like the sound design and the projections that it felt bigger than it was mm-hmm. which is always nice in a um 99 seat black box where it, you don't like yeah um i would also like to say i really appreciated the musical moments that they had in the play um, it was a nice, you know, little break from <laughs> the intense <laughs> intensity or the craziness of the show. Um, so I, congratulations on that aspect. Oh, yeah. It was like a little hipster wonderland up there. Of Like they fucking play the ukulele and guitar. Yeah. 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 And, you know, talk about like or- organic meats and produce and things mm-hmm. and avocados and things like that. It's like, yeah. oh my god, you people are you people are terrible. Why am I spending time with you? But the acted, but the actors were very good at playing terrible people. They they were, um, especially like, the wife. I forget. Which oh yeah, that was. But yeah, she was like giving you that quintessential like New York character. Like, okay, hi, honey. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really <laughs> like you that much. Please don't hug me. Mm-hmm. No, and she's played by Satomi Blair, who oh, was in uh, Kentucky. 
Kentucky by Lena Naka Winkler, and mm-hmm. she's amazing. So yeah, she's so great. Yeah, I really love that actress. <laughs> mm-hmm. While I agree with you guys, and sort of like I didn't think the payoff of this play necessarily delivered. I loved the characters that this playwright developed. I would have mm-hmm. hung out with these people for to hear pretty much any story with any plot development. Mm. I thought the way she crafted her dialogue and then the way it was delivered by the actors was so excellent. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first play I've seen by Susan and I would definitely put her on my list of people to yeah. return to in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. I, I think like you, I shared the kind of confusion at the end and a little bit of not quite getting what the metaphor of the play was, whether it was a metaphor for the Trump era or whether it was meeting your boyfriend's friends, which I think um, that really, I don't know, Deep, that hadn't occurred to me, but I think that's pretty smart. That delivered for me. (laughs) But as a whole, like the design elements of this play for something that you see off, off Broadway Mm -hmm. were so strong. Mm -hmm. I I thought this was a fantastic production, even though at the end I was left kind of scratching my head of what was that all about. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and uh, Contact Susan actually has another play opening at the, at the end of this month, uh, today is, which is called Today is My Birthday. And oh, wow. Yeah. So look for her. At, it's going to be at um, uh, downtown. Uh, Kip Fagan's directing it. I should look this up right now. Uh, da, da, da. And then while Deep is looking that up, I'll also say I like the way that Susan incorporated the Sandy story, I feel like, you know, more and more we'll start to see a little bit of, you know, these, the current issues, you know, popping up in shows. So the the couple, actually, the main couple in uh, the show, they lose their New York City restaurant due to Sandy. So I like the way she incorporated that into the story. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely like that kind of New Yorker, like Lindsay and I were talking about before we before we finish taping who is so who's gotten so fed up that they just leave the city and move upstate which i've known uh, plenty of people who've done that uh today's my birthday will be at page 73 at the new ohio fabulous yeah so check that one out okay next up penny maria so we got to see the elephant in every room i enter at new york theater workshop they actually have a new space there. It's an intimate black box theater, and they're do- it's called Next Door. It's right next to the original theater, and they're giving all of these artists opportunities to uh, develop new works, which is like just really great and really amazing. So I'm looking forward to seeing more shows in that space there. Um, so the uh, show is performed. It was created by Gardner Comfort and Kill Haney. And it's also performed by Gardener Comfort. And I have a little anecdote about him. I actually met him. And I'm one of the people who offered him a cough drop at TEDx Broadway. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. So, in a way, you guys, this show was written about me. Um, that is so, so fantastic. <laughs> so um, Gardner, um, he has Tourette's. And I love the way that this show is so educational. It really gives you um, a, a greater perspective of Tourette's syndrome. We always think about 
the people who curse, you know, just out of nowhere. But there are many manifestations of this. And Gardner has one uh, where he has cold symptoms. So it sounds like he's sick and people are always, you know, offering him <laughs> cough drops. Um, so uh, I really appreciated uh, learning a little bit about that. And in the show, he goes to a Tourette's conference where he's um, and, and he speaks as one of the only adults in the Tourette's world who actually still has the disease or he suffers from the tics. Most people, he said, they grow out of it by the age of 20. So most of the people at the conference were kids, and he talks about his interactions with them and goes back and forth between describing their their tics and how they're coping with it and how his life is in the everyday world. Um, so I thought the show was very informative. He had really great energy. I mean, this man was running around the stage. He clearly works out a lot. I mean, yeah. he has to. Yeah. He really has to. Um, and then also he mentioned in the show, which I, I thought, I was like, oh, thank you for explaining. When he was stretching, I saw something poking out of his like like belly or torso. Um, but he mentioned that he actually broke one of his ribs while he was ticking out and it never healed properly. So I like that little bit of backstory um, and the way he incorporated that as well. Hmm. And there were some students who actually came to see the show yes. when we were there. They held the stage for 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, the curtain for 20 minutes because they were running late. But but I, you I, know, I think they really liked it. Like I, they reacted yeah. quite well. They, they laughed and they reacted really well. So Well, they really did. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, if we want to continue to consider ourselves, no matter what the political climate is, you know, a progressive country, like it's really important that kids experience this and get this information early on. So I really like the fact that, you know, he did this. He's inviting the students and working with the theater to do that. Um, how did you guys feel overall about the production of the show? There, there are things I really liked and there are things that I felt could have been stronger. The things I really liked were the, like standalone moments, like him doing doing the dance because he talked about when he mm-hmm. was younger when he would be have when he would have one one of his, you know, um, and, and episodes like his mom encouraged him to make a dance out of it as a way of mm-hmm. like releasing that energy in a way that was productive. And so he does those dances and it's very vigorous. Yeah. And <laughs> there's a lot of vigor to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just an oddly really beautiful. It and really I'm, is. Yeah, I've never and seen anything like it. And so he also had some great rhythm. I was like, all mm-hmm. right, Gardner. I yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, he knows how. <laughs> yeah, he knows how to dance normally too. Very, very multi-talented. Very physical. Mm-hmm. And why I love like one of the themes about it was he goes to his Tourette's conference and he talks about like like how this is the first time where he felt normal yes and how it, it's there's the first time he's been in the room where everyone else also has tics and so it made me think about like just you know being being a quote-unquote minority mm-hmm. and 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 having to recalibrate yourself for different spaces and how freeing it is to be in a space with you know your own people and yeah. not have to worry about mm-hmm. it and it makes it it makes you think like what like how facile the definition of normal is mm-hmm. and how like un like like really uninviting most most of general society is about people who are different and so I I really appreciate the play for that reason though um, one of the things I I had trouble I had some trouble following like when he was at the conference versus when he ta- talked generally about being an actor and about like worrying about money mm-hmm. and I think those 
like marrying those two ideas could have been mm-hmm. a lot could have been um it, it could have been done sm- more smoothly yeah that's interesting because i noted that also his character transitioned so similarly mm-hmm. when he was going from being one child at the conference with Tourette's to another or going back to his normal life those transitions i noted weren't as smooth as they could be but i also noticed that he was having his regular tics during the show mm-hmm. and he just you know was able to like get himself together and keep going on so I do applaud him for that so I imagine like it must be very difficult but I mean he's doing it you know every night he's living his dream as an actor by you know telling this this story Lindsay I would echo all of the praise that you two have offered and I think my experience watching this play was have you ever you both wear glasses so I'm assuming those aren't just fashion um, when you're trying to read something and it's mm-hmm. a little bit blurry and so you're squinting, mm-hmm. I felt like I spent all this performance sort of leaned forward squinting, trying to understand exactly what it was he was trying to communicate to the audience. And I think it goes to your point deep, which is about, like, it was pretty clear the A storyline mm-hmm. of I'm at this conference, here's my experience there, and here's what I want you to take away from it. That was very clear. Yeah. But there were clearly other messages in this play that were either explicit or possibly more implicit that I felt like he was trying to communicate to us and Mm -hmm. I just could Mm -hmm. not discern them. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of was like squinting at him the whole time trying to understand exactly what those underlying messages were. There was clearly a class element to this. He, He starts the story by talking about, he I believe is from New York City, but has never traveled to Washington DC via the train before until he was in his 20s and going to this conference. And I was like, there's clearly context and story that needs to be unraveled there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't understand why it is that this trip for you is happening now and so late into your life. And I feel like I need some background to Mm -hmm. fully understand what it is that I'm supposed to be absorbing from what you're telling me. It just, it needs some dramaturgy help, I think, a little bit. But that's not to take away from all the praise that we've given it, because I think it is a wonderful story. He's a wonderful performer and overall a great experience. But I just felt like there were layers to this story, and I was only getting the top layer Mm -hmm. and not the the subsequent ones. Well, he tried to, I think, I forget which scene it was, but he, like, came back downstage a couple of times to be like, you get it, you get it, and, yeah, I remember kind of feeling like a, a uh, little, maybe, I think. Maybe I get it. Maybe. <laughs> but I realized he was trying to stress something. But what, you know, what exactly was he trying to stress? So I do see that and understand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. The next play we saw, only Penny, Maria, and I saw it. It's called Veil. And it's at the Astoria Performing Arts Center. And it's written by Monet Hurst Mendoza. And it's directed by Perone Yusevich. Oh, I apologize for not figuring out how to say your name in advance. Does anybody have any idea how you say this person's name? Yusuf Zade? Yusuf Zade. Yusuf Zade. I really apologize. I try to always look names up in advance and do my best to pronounce them accurately, and I completely failed in this instance. 
This story is performed at the Astoria Performing Arts Center, which if you've never been there, is in a church. And this was my first time, and I'm very yeah. glad I got to go to it. So mm-hmm. I appreciate Jack for highlighting this on our preview episode a couple of weeks ago. It is about a immigrant family from Afghanistan, and there is a young girl. She's in her mid-teens, around six, she's 16 years old, and she suffers from some skin disease that causes her to have what in the show appear to be glitter patches, but um, some kind of, you know, welts, let's say. Mm-hmm. And But it's more than just a physical issue. It's, it appears that she is extremely sensitive to the elements. She doesn't go outside. Mm-hmm. She can't be around the sun. To touch her is very painful for mm-hmm. her. And her reaction to this is to stay inside all the time. I I think she's probably homeschooled, Mm -hmm. Um, but she's very smart and she loves the ocean and she loves all forms of sea animals, especially sharks. She's super obsessed with sharks. And she locates her mother's burqa and takes to wearing it. And she has transformed the burqa with some embroidery and some design, some fanciful design that reflects her obsession with the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it upsets her parents quite a bit that she wears this because they have immigrated from Afghanistan to give their daughter a life that doesn't require wearing a burqa. And yet here she is in the United States, not going out and always wearing this burqa. And it's a bit of a fairy tale. She develops a relationship with a poet who sits outside her Mm -hmm. bedroom window, who thinks of her as a princess. So it's got that kind of princess in the tower kind Mm -hmm. of dynamic. And then she acquires secretly from her parents a shark. And the shark speaks to her, and it's this lovely puppet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kudos to both the puppet maker and the puppeteer in that scene. There's also some block puppetry using a uh, light projector. Projector, thank you. That you you know that they used to have when we were like in elementary school. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So puppetry, puppetry, top notch. Oh, sorry. And I will say that the type of shark she gets is a nurse, a nursing shark. So she relates very closely to this because it stays on the bottom of the ocean floor where it's very dark and it has rough skin kind of like her. So she has this immediate bond with this shark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I thought that I loved this concept. I thought that the performers were great. The play moved very slowly, and it stretched over at least an hour and 45 minutes. And at times, it was just too slow. And I just wanted them to please pick up the pace. You know, I think there are some real gems in this play. I can't say that I understand exactly what this metaphor is for. I feel like I had the same critique of this play that I had the last one, which is that I'm getting your A story here, but I'm just not getting the layers to it. And I feel like you're trying to say something deep and meaningful, and I'm just not fully grasping it and you know maybe that's on me but I was I really struggled through this play to understand what I was supposed to be taking away from it but I do think there are some real 
gems in here. I thought it was very creative. I thought the production was very lovely. And it looks like they did a lot on a limited budget with that set and with the paint and with the uh, fabric that they had um, on the set. Yeah. Yeah. They did a good job for a small budget. I agree with that. And I thought that the chemistry between the young girl and the poet was fantastic. They were so good. And I I just, I thought that storyline was fantastic. There's a second storyline between the parents where they're having some trouble, which seemed apropos of absolutely nothing. I couldn't figure out why that was even an element to the play. And I, and then like, the, well, the father wasn't there, but we never found out where he why was or what his challenge or was, why he wasn't getting home until 1 a.m. We don't know if he had an affair or if he was just really genuinely depressed about hard. his daughter or generally depressed. Like, yeah, it was not clearly explained at all. Yeah. I hate to offer a bunch of like, well, if I had written this play, here's how I would have <laughs> kept like the structure and the basic meaning of it, but totally changed it. But I almost would have taken this play out of a family dynamic and made the young girl older. And I just feel like her challenges and her ultimate resolution, which I was like, is the meaning of this play that you're supposed to run away with your 18 year old boyfriend when you're 16? I was like, that's weird. I don't get that at all. Yeah. It seems very odd. I think it was, um, the underlying tone was kind of the fight or the path to freedom. Yeah. And so, like, the, the parents took that path here. Yeah. Um, but like you, I wanted more from the parents. They said, you know, they didn't want her to wear the burqa, but they understood, like, it was her choice. And they talked a little bit about why some women feel empowered to wear yep. it and how some women feel, you know, trapped by it. Yeah. But it wasn't okay for this little girl to use the burqa as a comfort blanket. And I just wanted more about the history in the family's specific experience in relation mm-hmm. to the burqa. So that part was really um, missing for me. But yes, the little girl, she found her freedom and finally left the apartment by sneaking out. So, I mean, yeah, that was odd. Yeah. That was odd. (laughs) Especially when she was scared to go outside for so long. She wouldn't, because uh, supposedly she can go go outside at night without injuring herself Mm -hmm. um, because the sun is down, but she had never wanted to. But this boy convinces her, well, you know, at that age. Mm. But generally we don't (laughs) want 18-year-old boys stealing away 16-year-old through bedroom windows. Right. I was like, shouldn't he have been like 17 and came there after school instead of sitting there all day? Writing his poem, looking, sending them into her window. Oh my god, that's creepy, isn't it? Wait, is it like, is it one of those times where it's creepy and the pre- playwright's presenting it as creepy, or is it creepy and the no. playwright's presenting it as romantic? Yeah, the latter. Oh no, no. But again, it's supposed to be a. Fa- oh, I just bumped my microphone. It's supposed to be kind of a fairy tale. It wasn't as fairy tale as I thought. I was thinking it was going to be so much more (laughs) elaborate and imaginative than it was. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Um, So I'm not sure about that, but I like the source of sparkling, right? Um, Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not, I don't think what her, at first I was like, Okay, that's cute, but I don't know that this makes sense. But I I think it relates back to the boyfriend, you know, seeing her as beautiful, even though she doesn't see herself, you know, that way. Have you guys seen the movie Twilight? Oh, Jesus. What's that? The movie Twilight? Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh my god! Vampire sparkles in the sun. (laughs) But he thinks it's just like he thinks it's a disfigurement, and Bella thinks it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe from this. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Also, I hey, there's no shame (laughs) in enjoying a little Twilight movie, and I'm not taking any shit from you, Jeep. It's fine. Are you pretty sure he's a gray fan too? Because that started as Twilight fan fiction. I am not admitting anything Ooh. further. Oh, this is going to a very oh, we, interesting place. Well, I mean, like, what is to, happening? We continue to learn so much about each other. I love it. <laughs> so, this is where character development gets really interesting. Um, <laughs> contains multitudes but Lindsay, i was gonna ask did you have a problem hearing the women i felt like the man the Frequently. men i like they projected well but and then the young girl i thought oh it's because she has the burka on but then she took off the burka and i was like boo i, I can't hear you so i like i can't it was a, it was a bit of a struggle there were me. times when i struggled to hear the actors but mostly not okay I, 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 it, at times that was noticeable Mm-hmm. That I was like, oh, I can't quite hear what you're saying, but yeah. then other times. Yeah. They also had a narrator, um, you know, which I thought was a nice touch. But again, it would have been great if she could have provided a little bit more information. The narrator serves as the puppeteer mm. um, as well. I like the idea of the floating shark, though. But the fantasy came in because the shark could also exist outside of the tank except for when the tank was broken. <laughs> so it's kind of paradoxical, right? It's just like, uh, I don't know. That was that was very interesting. Did you think about that, Lindsay? I didn't really think about that, but now that you mention it, you're quite right. It, I will say that the, <laughs> the, the moment, the sort of apex of the play comes in the moment that Penny Maria just mentioned, which is that the shark tank breaks. And at least... I, I was, I did have a moment of like, oh my gosh, and as did the audience I saw it with. So mm-hmm. they staged and executed that very well. Mm-hmm. Like it was truly shocking and sad. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. Okay. Who buys um, her kid a shark? Well, no, 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 no. Well, this is the other problem if you yeah. want to get down to yes. it, which is that she buys this shark online. Yes. And Who it buys gets, her kid a a shark on the internet. No, she, no, the she, little girl, the, the daughter, yeah, the daughter well, buys the shark lady. independently. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it gets delivered in this giant box into their very tiny, you know, New York City apartment, <laughs> and goes unnoticed. Yeah, she covers it the with a sheet, and the father, I think, even rests, rests his, his feet, feet on, on it. it. I was like, sir, you know that was not there before. <laughs> it seems like just bad parenting all around. It was the most <laughs> unbelievable element of the entire show. <laughs> it was when that happened that I knew we were, I was like, I am willing to sleep suspending a extreme amount of disbelief right yeah, now. And we are yeah. definitely in fairy tale land. Yeah. That was quite interesting. Maybe the shark is a metaphor. Oh, it definitely is. But oh, I so it's not really there. But well, I don't know what for. Well, again, I think it's freedom because the shark spoke about you know living their entire life on the it was a girl she lived her entire life on the ocean floor but she knew there was something else out so she just swam higher and higher until she got caught in the net so it's a little bit of a rough adjustment but you know she's been living the high life ever since traveling the world in a tank delivered by amazon 
<laughs> in, a, in a tiny little tank. Yeah. So it's weird because she has like more freedom but less freedom. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe exactly. that's the metaphor. Yeah. Like no matter where you go mm-hmm. or what the constraints are on you, you're always limited. Yes. And like you break Unlimited. out of them only to take on different constraints. Exactly. We just broke. Oh we, my god. We yeah. it out. Actually, this we is a brilliant story. I mean, amazing. <laughs> Happiness is elusive and non-existent. Um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um except yeah, when you but, sneak away with your boyfriend to the ocean. Um <laughs> I, think, I haven't seen this play, but I'm really entertained right now. I mean, well, you have another week to see it, right? So it's in your neighborhood. The 18th. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Oh, Junk. Oh, wait, oh last, sorry, Penny Moran's yes, another. Excuse me. No, please continue. Show is not over. So <laughs> I'll just make my my curtain speech. Yes. So also I just wanted to say that I really appreciated that. The story was about a family from Afghanistan, but it wasn't totally focused on living such a dire life in a war-torn country, but the adjustment here in this country in America with their own personal issues. Yeah. Yeah, so I like that little bit of, oh, here's another slice of life for you people. We're not monolithic. Yes. Oh, which kind of connects to the shark. (laughs) Perfect. Because... It's like it's really hard in the home country, mm-hmm. and so you and so you go somewhere else, and then you 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 go to that somewhere else, and you think it's gonna be easier for you, but it's just gonna, yeah. it's just hard, but in a yeah. different way. Yeah. Oh my goodness, metaphors upon metaphors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and did we say uh, who wrote that? Yes. Remember okay, that completely horrific oh, yes, right. attempt by myself Perfect. to pronounce the director's name? Yeah. I am mortified. We can well, edit it back. Seems like we have a lot of junk to deal with. Yeah. Yes, we do. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, junk. I, I, apparently, it's on Broadway. Mm-hmm. It is. It's I such didn't a realize. Unique. I didn't realize that when I suggested we talk about it. Because it's at the Lincoln Center Theater. Yeah, yeah. I forget the Vivian Beaumont's of Broadway House. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bad theater person. Okay, <laughs> so junk by Ayad Akhtar, currently playing at the Vivian, Vivian Beaumont at Lincoln Center. Directed so, by. Directed by some dude. Okay, we can come back to that. <laughs> hey, give me a second. Give me okay. a it's a really easy name to pronounce. I'm kind of jealous that you get to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, and for that, you'll have to pay the price of searching oh, through yeah. your playbill. Yeah, yeah, some dude. Uh, Doug Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. There you go. You were supposed to say d- d- uh, Doug, Doug. Doug. Hugues. <laughs> Hugues. 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 <laughs> so it's set in the 80s during what I believe is like the beginning of like really big Wall Street, you know, insider trading illegal shit, people making a shit ton of money by doing illegal shit on Wall Street. You know, it's your, your typical white collar crime story. Stephen Pasquale plays Robert Merkin, who's apparently a junk bond king, which a junk bond is a low-rated bond that has a lot of risk. But if you group them all together, if we all watch the big short, if you group them with a bunch of A-bonds, then it raises the average of the junk bonds. Yay, I learned something. All right. Well, (laughs) we were talking about, you know, finances and investing. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for this deep. No problem. Never buy a house, Penny Maria. And so what Robert Merkin does is he and, 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 and it's, it's, a fiction, it's a fictional character, but apparently based on some real people. 
who did this, which is he buys a company that's floundering and he sells their different parts for more money. And then he makes money on the trade and the stock, the, sh- the shareholders make money too. And then the only people who get screwed over are, you guess it, they're the little people, mm-hmm. the people who don't understand what the hell all of this is about. They just lost their jobs. And so the entire play is basically Robert Merkin trying to make to buy this company, um, the steel manufacturing American Steel, which you know, big buzzword right now. This American Steel company and the owner of the company. It's been his, in his family for generations, but he does not want to sell the company, and so it's the entire play is basically you, Stephen Pasquale trying to buy some buy a steel company and oh, trade it for exciting. parts yeah uh this is one of those yeah this is one of those things where i don't like by presenting this thing on stage because it's like a very handsome production it's two, it's a two and a half hour play mm. the cast is like 20 strong it, it they're all really good they all play a variety of characters it's really quick scenes that go in and out and the projections, it's just like two level set with like glass behind it. So you can, so you can like project like number, like, you know, the Dow Jones on it. And it's, it's very sleek and shiny. Everyone's in suits. Everyone looks like a million dollars. It's, it's, it looks very nice. And it, it's talking about how like cap, how like capitalism, like the, the multi-billion dollar capitalism because they talk they trade a lot of figures a lot of high figures in this in this show like 60 a 60 million dollar deal or like a a billion dollar deal or three million isn't that much money You, you can get more money than that it's it's you know all of us here are you know theater journalists artsy Ooh, people we working in a not for profit we will never see that well, I much rebuke that you're not gonna claim that over my okay life. i will never <laughs> <laughs> okay. i believe in you go go buy we're, we're well, gonna I'm figure out how there to may invest. be other methods than my current you know career that will bring that money into my life but please do continue <laughs> and so you're paying the he paints a picture of the of this world as very glamorous, very misogynistic. They use a lot of, of you know, they 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 talk they talk about these deal and fe- these deals in female terms, like impregnating that bitch mm. and and like getting and like your and what <laughs> Lindsay. Well, so you know, I used to be an M and A attorney, so this yeah. is like a world uh, I used to inhabit. Yeah, that language continues whoa oh that yes, is I'm very sure. much in use in 2017 whoa. and it used to drive me crazy yeah yeah so yeah. anyway continue yeah because guess what wall street trading is also a very bro dominated field and it's and well my thing my theory is because like it, it, it's they're all you know they're all trying to it's all big penis metaphor basically that's my theory <laughs> anyway sorry which is all to cover up the small penises yes exactly mm, that they exactly have. Mm. you know seven mm. million seventy million dollars will do that but and well, the, yeah. so okay <laughs> so this is okay so this is one of those times for me in watching it, it's kind of like what happened when i watched the big short which if you watch the big short and you liked it you'll probably like this play too uh Basically, in showcasing this world and how these people talk without very many dissenting voices, are you then in, 
endorsing that world? Mm. Are you making that world appealing? And if you are, for what? Mm. And in this climate, this is one of those things. Why this play now? Because in this climate where there is currently a tax law being proposed in Congress that will give <sighs> billionaires a tax cut and will add to the debt, the national deficit and will screw over poor people. Why are you presenting this play about a bunch of rich people trying to get richer? And then in presenting this play about a bunch of rich people trying to get richer, why are you just, why do you not talk about the pathology behind that like yes. why yeah because i feel like with all of these works about super rich people like wall street like the big short it's always about oh the ch the plot is always the chase of getting more money but the thing is for me as someone who grew up really poor and on food stamps why what is that pathology i do not i cannot comprehend not at all. Not at all. that mindset and so for me why am i watching this play about these people who i do not relate to and who are really terrible people mm. i would like to relate to them i would like to understand why they need to chase a 70 million dollar deal and when they when already they, uh, have when they already hundreds have, of millions. Yeah, millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Like, why is that? And so I think with theater, you know, the point is build empathy, understand other cultures. Like, this is a culture I do not understand. I want to understand it. And this play did not do that for me. Mm. And then what was really troubling for me, actually, in this play was, and, you know, also, I really like Ayad Akhtar as a playwright, and I love the who and the what. And so I... And so I respect him as a playwright. I respect what he's trying to do here. But my trouble is the times that you do show like lower class people, you show them as being way too stupid to understand this intricate world of high profile dealings. And then the last scene in this show is the Robert Merkin in jail because he did some really illegal shit because it was illegal shit that he was doing. And he's talking about and he's telling he's talking to his guard about, oh, well, you make, you know, 30,000 a year. But if you put some of this away, you can, you know, you can ostensibly buy a house if you have. And the guy is like, I live hand to mouth and it's paycheck mm. to paycheck. I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what if, what if, you know, we made you, like you're a very high risk. But what if we like made you a bond and sold it to you? And then the entire audience laughs. Mm. And I'm like, why are you laughing? this thing actually happened yeah it is it, it is a sequel to this show is the big short and yes a bunch of rich white men got even richer but you know what a lot of people suffered mm. and we're still suffering mm. so why the fuck are you presenting the show and painting it as this high glamorous industry that we should be entertained by it is not entertaining it is it is revolting and so well I and yeah uh, just really quickly, I'll say this show is on Broadway. Yeah. The target buyers are the ones, especially for Lincoln Center Theater, are the ones who understand that world and have yeah, they that do. money. So this could possibly just have been targeted toward them and yeah. not the little people who can't afford tickets exactly. to this show. Exactly. I, I have a... a Strong disagree. Oh, <laughs> I think you tell that as an experienced person this, from this world. play. No, no. Yeah. To me, 
to me, this play, I mean, I have a strong disagree and actually a strong agree. I have two mm-hmm. different okay. uh, yeah, yeah. views. Talk, talk, talk. My strong disagree is that I think this play is a structural critique mm-hmm. of the system, of okay. the financial system. And my impression is that the playwright had that idea that he wanted to present a play that was a critique of the system. And then he set about writing and creating these characters. Mm -hmm. And so when people laugh at that line at the end, what I think they're doing in that moment is seeing the bridge between the disaster that was Mm. the meltdown of the 1980s and the junk bond era and Milliken and all the horrible things that befell regular citizens of this country at that time. And they're seeing the bridge to the 2008 financial crisis when we had the a mortgage industry mm-hmm. meltdown. Mm. I didn't take the laugh at that moment to be like, ha, ha, look at us. We all got rich. Mm. I took it to be like, oh my God, the world is so fucked up. And what is the next thing that's going to come now? I just didn't see them as presenting this as a glamorous world that anyone would want to participate in. I saw it as a world motivated by greed. There's a ton of criminal behavior in this play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a ton of sexism and there's a ton of anti-Semitism. There's a lot of the people who were financial leaders at that time were Jewish. And when people engaged them in these financial transactions, one way they were attacked and critiqued and one way people used to try to gain leverage on them was to attack them for being Jewish. And so every character in this play has a quote unquote like evilness to them. Oh, There's yeah, no like a good no person. good guys. Yeah, no, no. And so to me, I thought I took this play as this sort of massive structural critique of the system now the problem when you start out writing a play with a idea as opposed to a set of characters that you want to explore and this is this is the part where I come and totally agree with you deep which is like who are these people Mm -hmm. what's motivating them why would you want to hang out with them they all seem awful and some of them I felt like were even painted with an evilness that was downright cartoonish Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I I just thought like unlike some of the Ayad Akhtar's other plays where I felt like he was able to marry a, a a strong message of critique be it of Islamophobia and in in his play just prior to this the invisible hand which which started to be his critique of the capitalist system but I thought was married with some very interesting character development here I just thought he wasn't able to marry those two things as effectively which I think leads to the critique of yours that I totally agree with deep but I didn't come out this saying why now I mean to me it seems like a, a perfectly timely play because I think that if you if if a if a wealthy white financier sits through this play and thinks that it's a celebration of the system that he is an active participant in, he is just ignoring 
what I think is Ayad's message throughout this play, which is to be extremely critical of that system. In a way, actually, there were times when I almost, I just wanted the people to be more organically conflicted. Yeah. Like the the yeah. Millican character, Stephen Pasquale's character, that, the Millican is the guy from the 80s who I think this character is based on. He was evil in the sense that he was participating in illegal insider trading, mm -hmm. which is obviously bad. The junk bond stuff is, I think, morally reprehensible, but not necessarily in every case illegal. No, it's not. And so I wanted, I wanted it to be more, I almost wanted there to be more of a gray area where we explored more of the psychology behind exactly what you were saying, Deep, the psychology behind a person who, even though something is not technically illegal, he continues to game the system in his behavior to, ta to take advantage of people who have less information about the system or he's found a loophole which he just wants to squeeze as much uh, through for his own benefit. I think that's a more interesting argument. But at the same time, I understand that like, the task that Ayad Akhtar took on in presenting this play was so monumental. He had to do so much explaining and so much heavy lifting in the mm -hmm. form of educating mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the audience as to what it was he was even talking about. I tweeted at the intermission that there were some like finance 101 lessons going on yeah. in the line to the bathroom because everybody was like, I don't really understand. Mm. I don't really get it. Mm. And people were explaining different terms to each other. And I was like, oh, this is, he has just taken on such a complicated wow. task with this play. But I just want to close by saying the most controversial thing of all that I'm going to say, which is that I did not think Stephen Pasquale was good in this role. Mm. I just thought he was miscast. I didn't think he had the swagger. I didn't think he had the ability to communicate the confidence that these just like big swinging dicks in these roles have. And I just, I, I did not buy him at all. And I adore him as an actor, but I just did not think he was right for this role. Maybe it's like, I feel like I think he was trying to inject the role with a little bit of sensitivity mm -hmm. and, and that factored into his performance and why he played it a little bit more conflicted that than probably the character, the real life Milliken probably didn't deserves, have, deserves yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, and then also maybe he as an individual is just too much of a considerate person to really pull off this role as an actor I don't know him personally so I can't yeah. say well yeah we had coffee the other day no <laughs> I mean you know who knows you know it's it's difficult yeah. trying to take on know. you know roles just that didn't work for me at all identify with no, I, I completely agree with you, Lindsay, that yeah. I saw the play as a critique of the system. But the thing is, when you don't have that many dissenters within the play about the system, mm. you're just presenting the system as it is without any um, gray area or conflict yeah. to it. Then it's like, what What do you as an audience member take away from that? It It's fucked. So we should all, do, we should all just try to get rich. Like, what? what is what is the message? I mean, granted, I don't think, you know, I don't think playwrights write with a message in mind, but... Not always, there, there, but I there, think there needs to here. be there needs to be something more than just presenting the problem. But right? didn't you think that the way the play presented the consequences of all this terrible behavior Which was the message? That there's very little consequence? No, that all these workers whose business was sold oh, right. were harmed. Mm -hmm. That this person ended up in jail, that and that, that, yes, some people 
did get away with it. And that's the reality of the system yeah. that even when there are people colluding and a whole bunch of people have engaged in terrible behavior, they don't necessarily all suffer the same consequences of the, that behavior. That's just reality. And I thought that the way he portrayed that was very honest and in that way gutting. Mm-hmm. But deep, you would have appreciated a physical manifestation of that character, not just, you know, the the effects of what happened. No, I, I, I would appreciate more interiority. Yes. And I would just also appreciate a little bit more critique. Like, I think the only person really doing any active critiquing in the play was the journalist character. Who you know, I have a whole separate um, critique about how the portrayal of journalists and that. Oh, that's funny. Cause play. I have a whole separate critique about how the lawyers are portrayed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like she's she's the only one kind of explain. I think she was supposed to be like the mouthpiece for the audience explaining these concepts to us. And I think if a little bit more, like a little bit more pushback, I think from her character would have been a little bit more helpful for me in being comfortable with what I was seeing because it's like you're seeing this play. It's like oh my god, this is almost so much bigger than I am. It's like what am I supposed to do? I'm just powerless. What 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 do I do? <laughs> what do you do with this? I loved that she got sucked in and seduced by the system just Mm. like everybody else did. I mean, to me, part of the message here is that the system is so powerful. There's almost nothing you can do to resist it. And even when you are a smart, principled person whose approach is to critique and attack and to attempt to improve the system, that even you too get sucked in by the system. And that's part of the message. Sure, sure. Mm. But a but. lawyer would be very hesitant to leak insider secrets to the other side. That would just never happen. <laughs> I think that those I mean, are more it like would con- happen, but the consequences of that should be in context of how morally grave and and horrible, horrible that decision yeah. would be. I was just like, yeah. come on. But, but once again, caricatures of evil people. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of the same critique I had, I had the big short, which is you, you portray these men who are just trying to just basically screw each other over, which is like rich men screwing over other rich men. And then they're conflicted about it. But then it's like in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, like how much are we supposed? It's like, what, what is the, I'm not saying there, I'm not saying it's not a story worth telling but when there are other stakes when there are stakes other than rich people getting screwed over it's like it's not just screwing over rich people like like the Stephen Pasquale character saying at the end like you're screwing over everybody but you're not acknowledging that and why don't you but are you saying you don't think the play acknowledged that because I thought the way in which the entire workforce of the company that they took over got completely decimated was the illustration of that. No, I think the play acknowledges that. I don't think the character acknowledges oh, that. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the character is ready to do it again. Mm. Yeah. As the character w- would yeah. be in real life, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it's, yeah, it's weird portraying him as a sympathetic person when he's not really, he's just, I didn't just see fine. him portrayed as a sympathetic person. Oh, Stephen Pascal I thought he was trying to, I, there just needed to be so much more character development mm-hmm. on across all the characters yeah. and yeah. and I think to me that is the real flaw in this play mm-hmm. is that the 
again, I'm like just making a massive assumption about how Iodactar approached writing this, but like I think he wanted to communicate a certain message and then the characters came later. And the result of that is that the characters are just not well formed, not well drawn, not fulsome and not very relatable. There's too much content to fit within two hours when you have to break down everything. And that might just mm-hmm. be at the end of the, it I mean, might at the end yeah. of the day be yeah. an impossible yeah. task that he took on. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm great at explaining things like this. Good and job, Penny mm-hmm. Maria. You weren't even there and, and yet <laughs> See, you, you managed to sum up the entire <laughs> You should have you should have been That's there. That's the major critique of this. Show. <laughs> if he had more time perhaps, you know, yeah, he could have and, and, Yeah, should have been issues. like like a five hour yeah, elevator yes. repair service reading the court documents from the Milliken case. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I actor right, did I'm up for that. Yeah. Well, I actor did say in the Times article about profiling him that he he said which is interesting. He said like he doesn't need the the audience to understand every financial concept within the play. He just needs them to understand like the conflict. Right. And so I did understand the conflict. It just mm-hmm. didn't buy the conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, you know, amazing theater is filled with conflict. You know, and it makes you as an audience member struggle internally. So I'm glad you all had that experience. Yes. Thank you, Penny Maria. Yeah, and struggled. I was just pissed. Uh, yes. But, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, this this is what like great default. art does. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Good job, Aya Doctor. Good job. <laughs> well, do you guys have any theater coming up that you're excited about? I personally don't because I'm hoping to go back to Alabama and do more campaigning. Yes. Yes. Beat John Moore. Roy Moore. Roy Moore, whatever. <laughs> Fucking. Fucking white dudes molesting people. Uh, yeah. No. Yes. yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Yes. Go beat Roy Moore. So, yeah, after, after that, I need a little bit of joy in my life. So I'm mm. looking forward to seeing the play that goes wrong on oh, Broadway. Yes. yes. So the Maximu outing. Yes. yes. You know, I need a little. I love farces. You know, I need a little bit of that in my life. That should be so, fun. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to that. I think Penny Marie and I are also looking forward to uh, Schoolgirls. Oh the, yes, the, the Mean MCC. Girls play MCC by Jocelyn Bio, who was exactly. who 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 played uh, Hester in um in the fucking the, the, a, in yeah. the blood in the blood in, in the, the blood, blood by Susan Laurie Parks. Yeah. She was phenomenal in that play, and I'm looking forward to seeing how she fares as a playwright. Yes, that was included in our preview for this month, so Yay. we're as a whole excited about that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Deep is at Deep Thought. Penny Maria is at Penny Maria. And I am at Lindsay Behrens. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. See you again soon. Theatrical Media.